0: Heavenly Father, we seek to know You, and we can do so because You have called us to seek Your face and have promised that You reveal Yourself to us in Your Word and through Your people. And so we pray for our children this morning as they hear Your Word in this room or upstairs. May their ears be ready to listen. May Your Spirit be at work in their hearts to enlighten them, to draw them to You, and to fashion them in the image of Christ. May all of us, as we hear your word this morning, receive it with joy, with patience, with humility, with teachability, and with every intention to store it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This time our young children who are going upstairs at training time can meet their teachers in the back. Older kids, and as I'm learning, more and more adults, are also welcome to pick up the... Um, The sermon notes that are in the back of the room, they're designed for kids who are at reading age and in the sermon with some fill-in-the-blank outlines, but I'm learning that more and more of the adults are finding them extremely helpful, and I don't know if that just means that I am too obtuse otherwise or what, but no shame in taking those. Uh, We are in Proverbs, and if you like, you can turn to Proverbs 18. That's where the first proverb I'll be reading this morning comes from. But as we've been studying Proverbs, we've discovered it is not a book that we can go through verse by verse or chapter by chapter, and so we're going to be jumping all over the place in the book of Proverbs. That's how you need to read Proverbs in order to draw from its great wisdom. So hear now the word of the Lord, Proverbs 18, 19. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Proverbs 17:14 The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Proverbs 19:11 Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 10:12 Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. This is the word of the Lord. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, the fog of war. It's to describe this uh, atmosphere in which when war is engaged, uh, we lose sight of what is really going on. It's easy to misjudge to make snap decisions that don't take into account the reality of the big picture. We can get very nearsighted in the battle that's before us and, and make sacrifices that end up costing us the whole war. The fog of war is a costly and confusing place to be. And I would suggest that when we are in conflict, here I'm speaking of personal conflict, it can be very much like the fog of war where we get an obscured view of what's really happening. We become unable to see what is really important. We are not reckoning with the damage that is really being done. And as Proverbs addresses this topic of how we act when we are offended, when we are hurt by someone, I'm not talking about being offended by things you see out there. I'm talking about the person sitting across from you on a day-to-day basis. When someone you know offends, hurts Sins against you. How do we act wisely in such a situation? What Proverbs does is it seeks to dissipate, to clear out that fog that can obscure our vision and make it hard to act rightly. Proverbs seeks to help us see that in conflict, when we are offended, we have a chance to better know and to better express the gospel that saves us. And so on this topic... As with every other one we've looked at, we're going to look at it from this perspective. That Proverbs is not telling us what to do in order to be saved. Proverbs is not giving us wisdom on how to live a good moral life regardless of whether or not God is in the picture. Proverbs is telling us what to do in a way that's only possible if our hearts are transformed by the grace of God. It is wisdom for the way that we walk in the Lord, not to the Lord. And so we look to Proverbs today to see wisdom for the offended. And three things I want us to look at. The first is that when we are offended, we have a chance to confront our wrongs. When we're offended, we have a chance to confront our wrongs. The first mistake that many of us make when we are offended, when our feelings have been hurt, is to assume that we are completely in the right If someone makes us upset, of course, they're the one that's wrong. They shouldn't have done whatever they did, said whatever they said. I am the aggrieved party. Obviously, I'm right. And Proverbs reminds us to, uh, in the words of my generation, to take a chill pill. (laughs) Proverbs 12, 16 reminds us that the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. We can be quick to express our annoyance, our frustration, our hurt, to jump to the conclusion and to make a judgment that we are right. The vexation of a fool is known right away. It's clear when a fool is upset because they don't hold their tongue. We start from the assumption that we are right. Now the job that we have is to go fix the other person. Show them how they are wrong. Punish them. Make them feel bad for making us Feel bad, But that moment of offense, even of feeling attacked, is an opportunity for us to self-examine. As Jesus famously warns in Matthew 7, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log sticking out of your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's not random that Jesus chose the eye. For that illustration, because very often it is our view of others, our ability to rightly see and understand them is obscured by the wrongs in our own heart that we have not yet addressed. So when we are offended, we have a chance to first confront our wrongs. I'm not suggesting that the other person is never in the wrong. I am suggesting that very often the feelings that that evokes points to something in our hearts that needs to be seen seen and dealt with in the light of the gospel. Because sometimes when we are mad at a person, it is because we don't like what they've shown us about ourselves. Let me say that again. Sometimes when we are mad at another person, it's because what we're really mad at is that we don't like what they're showing us about ourselves. Maybe they've directly brought it up and said, hey, you're a very impatient person. No, why would you say that? But maybe it's not something they've directly said. Maybe they actually have wronged us and treated us poorly and rightly so caused us to feel hurt. But in the process, it's revealed something that's going on in our heart. Do you want to know where your real issues are? Do you want to know what sin is hiding out in your heart waiting to be dealt with? Raise a child. (laughs) Live with a roommate who is very different from you. Do something like that. Expose yourself, your life, your your day-to-day to to a person who is going to upset you. You know, a child doesn't have to tell you that you're impatient or a perfectionist or short-tempered or greedy. The child just has to be themselves. And those things will come to the surface in your own heart. When other people offend us, we should not start with seeing their fault. We should start by looking with a critical eye at our own heart and say, what is, what's really going on here? Why am I upset? Now, it may be that our conscience is clear. And it may be there's nothing wrong in our own hearts. But that's, I would suggest, maybe more often than not the, ca- not the case. More often than not, there's also something going on in our hearts that needs to be dealt with. Am I putting my pride and my reputation above other things, and when that was challenged, when I didn't get what I thought I deserved, I got angry? Am I committing my hope to comfort or to a certain position that is being denied me by that other person, and that's why I'm upset? Am I expecting this other person in my life to to provide me with a security or an affirmation or something that really should only come from God? Now, they may have done something bad or wrong, but perhaps the reason I'm really upset and offended about it is not so much for their wrong, but for something that's going on in here. It reminds me of a story from Scripture when Gideon, who's famous for putting out the fleece, but uh, there's another story, several other stories about Gideon, and one of them is when, when the Lord first appears to him, the first assignment that God has for him is not raise up this army, if you know that story. The first assignment for Gideon was go destroy the idols of your father's household. And Gideon goes at night because he's scared. And he knocks down the idols. And everybody, it's, it's hilarious the way Scripture describes it. They wake up in the morning and behold, the idols were knocked over. How did this happen? And they find out that it was Gideon and, and they got offended. They got upset because their idols had been trashed. That's what happens to us. When someone comes into our life, whether they've done right or done wrong, when they knock over our idols, when they take us off that pedestal that we were standing on, when they challenge that source of security or peace that we've been looking to apart from God, our idols are knocked over and we get angry and we go after the person who knocked them over. Instead of doing what Gideon's father then suggests, he's like, hey, if Baal's so strong, let him deal with this. You don't have to defend your idols. If they can't defend themselves, then they have no place in your heart. So let that anger, when someone offends you, let that hurt, let that frustration, let it be a warning sign to you. That you may examine if perhaps something is not right in you. Are you upset because your idols are being knocked over? When we are offended, we have a chance an opportunity to confront our wrongs. But sometimes the offense isn't just from something revealed, it's from someone calling us out. How quick we are to remember the story of the speck and the log when someone else confronts us. Hey, 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 why are you worried about me when you've got a log in your own eye? Proverbs calls us to reframe those conversations. When someone points out our own errors or shortcomings or even our sins, maybe they don't phrase it well. Maybe they were insensitive in how they brought it up. Maybe they have their own mess in their own life that you think they need to be dealing with first. But instead of dwelling on that, think of this from Proverbs 27. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. If someone is tiptoeing around you, always agreeing with you, always Building you up, but never bringing into light the areas of your life that need to change. Never confronting you when you hurt them. Such a person may just be multiplying kisses like an enemy, whereas a true friend will rebuke. A true friend risks offending you for the sake of healing you. A true friend lovingly draws attention to the problem areas in your life, and so it is an act of love an act of true love to draw attention to something that needs to be fixed in a person's life. We imitate the love of the Lord when we do that in a gentle and helpful way. Proverbs 3, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves Him whom He loves as a father, the son in whom He delights. It is out of love that God confronts us And even offends us by pointing out what's wrong in our lives. And we imitate that when we lovingly do so for others. This is a necessary part of living out the gospel. Confronting and reckoning with the wrongs in our own lives. Jesus said in Luke 5, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, I have come to call sinners to repentance. That's why we include a confession of sin in our worship almost every week to remind ourselves that, that Jesus, in order to, to be a savior for sinners, you have, you have to be a sinner if Jesus is to be your savior. If you need the healing he provides, you have to admit that you are sick. And so when others offend us, it's an opportunity to confront that sickness and that guilt and that sin in our lives and say, is there something going on that needs to be brought into the light of the gospel? gives us a chance to confess our our wrongs and our own need of grace first before the Lord and then from those that we might have hurt. So when you feel offended, when you are in conflict, first pause and consider, are these pains the sound of my idols being toppled or are they the wounds perhaps of a loving friend? Or perhaps the wounds of a loving Savior given to us through another sinner that we might remember our need of His grace and lean more heavily on His mercy. When we are offended, we have a chance to confront our wrongs. We have another chance in conflict and when we are offended, and that is we have a chance to conquer our enemies. Proverbs puts before us the danger of conflict in Proverbs 17. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. There is a point in conflict where it crosses a line from something that can be easily resolved and dealt with and cleared up and moves into something else. The waters break through and flood everything. Or as we say today, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once it's let out, you can't stop it. And Proverbs says, so, so stop it before it gets to that point. Proverbs
1: 18:19. A brother
0: offended. I wanted you to hear that one. <laughs> a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. And quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Once a conflict moves into a category of a quarrel where you're fighting with someone, Proverbs says you're trapped. The division it creates is like the walls of a city under siege. You can't break through it without destroying something. And what I want to draw attention to here is that when we are offended, we have a chance to conquer our true enemies. Because what Proverbs does is shows us that our enemies are not always who we think they are. When we are in conflict we tend to think that the person who has hurt us the one who has offended us is our enemy but all of scripture including in proverbs challenges that idea in proverbs 17 9 whoever covers an offense seeks love but he who repeats a matter separates close friends we're challenged to ask ourselves what's more important in the midst of of being hurt of being offended, of being sinned against, of being in conflict. What's more important, being right or preserving the relationship? And Proverbs suggests that at times we need to let go of being right in order to preserve the relationship that we have with a brother or sister in Christ. In other words, our real enemy is not the person who upset us. Our real enemy is rather the sin that comes between us. That's one of the main messages that in, when we do pastoral counseling, whether it's marriage or friends or coworkers, when there are broken relationships between two believers, one of the principles I come back to again and again and again is the enemy is not the other person that you're having conflict with. The enemy is whatever sin and whatever is coming in between you, you are on the same side Trying to defeat that enemy. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, in speaking to a church where Christians were dragging one another to court over trivial things. He says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? And just as a, as a side note, as a caveat, there are times when the legal system is necessary and appropriate and suitable. God has given us the government for a reason scripture speaks to that in other places but what's being addressed here is is being so desperate to be right being so desperate to put the other person in their place and to get what you deserve out of them the christians were dragging each other into courts and litigation and shaming the church in doing so so paul's telling the corinthians if it's come to this if this is where you're at you're already lost you've lost the battle Because the unity of God's people is one of the highest goals of Scripture. So much so that we are urged in Scripture to set aside our grievances, our personal rights, even precise doctrine on non-essential matters if those things are causing division between us and our brothers and sisters. Now, I'm not saying that there's no right and wrong. And I'm not saying that the truth doesn't matter. Hopefully, if you know me well enough, you know I would not say such things. What I am saying with Scripture as my guide is that our sinful nature can take even good things like justice or proper doctrine. Can take good things and turn them into a wedge that divides God's people and breaks the unity that we are meant to have. Sometimes, too many times, we engage in conflict and quarrels, we get offended, and we believe, we tell ourselves, it's because we're zealous for the truth. We are warriors for what is right. But scripture peels back that veneer and reveals the true motivation of our heart at times is this, in James 4, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you? The gospel should move us towards peace and unity, not division. When we are offended, we have the chance to conquer that true enemy The true enemies, such as the pride that drives a wedge between us. Or the hunger for power that puts brothers and sisters at odds. The worship of self that leads me to put my needs before anybody else's needs. When we are offended, those enemies are grasping for power in the situation. And we have a chance, through the grace of God, to put them to rest. To conquer the true enemies of God's people. Forsake victory. Forsake being right. Forsake getting what you believe and perhaps you do deserve. If doing so will draw you closer to your brother or sister in Christ. This is at the very heartbeat of what Jesus came to do. And I think we miss seeing this sometimes. The work of Jesus was not to just come and and show us who's right and who's wrong. Who are the good people? Who are the bad people? Now the work of Jesus is to reconcile us to God. To fix the broken relationship that existed between us and our Heavenly Father. And if we are living out the gospel, that needs to be on our radar too. Not just who's right, who's wrong, who's good, who's bad. But how can what is broken be mended? In Romans 5, it describes the work of Jesus this way. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God... By the death of his son. God sent Christ so that those who offended him could be brought back to him. That's the work of Jesus. And the gospel needs to help us redefine who our true enemies are. They are not the people who are hurt by our sin and hurting us with their sin. Those are not the enemies. Our real enemy is the sin that separates us and others from God. A sin that expresses itself in conflict and hurt and offense and broken relationships. That's the enemy, not the person. Proverbs reminds, of this, reminds us of this by showing us that the quarrel itself can be defeat. Even if you win it, even if you are victorious and triumphant and the other person is shamed for what they should never have done to you, you can lose that battle. If our approach to our neighbor is to prove them wrong, to triumph over them, to put them in their place, then even if we succeed by those standards, we have lost to our real enemy the sinful desire that would control us. When we are offended, we have a chance to conquer that enemy. Lastly and briefly, one more important thing about conflict we learn is that when we are offended, we have a chance to confess our gospel. I'm going to ask you to hang with me because this is, a, this is a thing that we think we understand when we first hear it. But we need to understand it at a deeper level. And in a way, this message this week goes hand in hand with the message from last week. In fact, they started out as one message and I realized it needed to be divided into two. Last week, I talked about wisdom for the oppressed and we talked about God's heart for justice. When, those, when there are people who hurt us and do us wrong and oppress us, and we need justice that only God can give. And I don't want to neglect that truth. When people sin against us, God cares about justice, and so should we. But the gospel reframes our pursuit of justice. And we looked at that last week. So with that in mind, what we're looking at now this week is, is what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 6. Not a denial of justice, but a setting aside of personal grievance. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if you, Many of you have heard this before, but I want to make sure that I clarify when Jesus talks about turning the other cheek. That striking on the cheek is, is it's not talking about physical abuse. It's talking about a shaming act. When someone d- takes an action, that was a public shaming when you were to strike someone on the cheek in that culture. He says, if somebody shames you, show them the other cheek. Give them a chance to do it again. Pray for them. Love them. Do good to them. Proverbs puts it this way in Proverbs 10. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all offenses love covers all offenses these kinds of verses have to be read and understood through the lens of the gospel such as in first peter 2 where we're told that jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you've been healed This is the core of the gospel message that Jesus takes the sins of his people and is punished in their place. Because of Jesus, we will not be treated the way that we deserve to be treated. He was treated as we deserve. And because of Jesus, we do not need to treat others the way they deserve. Now, this is common enough to say in the church, but we have to, have to. We have to give it a more solid foundation than simply saying, this is the kind and right and nice thing to do. This is the Christian thing to do, to put on a smiley face and forgive someone when they hurt us. Because if if it doesn't go beyond this is the right thing to do, we can't do it. Our hearts can't sustain that level of injustice and hurt. But what we're told to do is consider the root of our sense of being wrong. Why are we offended? Someone took something of mine? Someone hurt my reputation? Someone showed me that they couldn't be trusted? Someone put me in a difficult or painful situation? I am not for a moment going to minimize those things. They are wrong. They hurt. And we are right to feel upset. But when we do when we feel that hurt, when we are offended, the gospel calls us to dig deeper, to dig below the hurt until you reach the bedrock of the gospel below. And when you do that, you will find that tarnished reputations, though painful, will never change what God has declared to be true of you in Jesus Christ. And that lost treasures will never make you any poorer in God's economy. And they cannot threaten your eternal inheritance in Jesus Christ. Broken promises will not threaten the security that you have because of God's word to you in Jesus Christ. And no difficult or painful circumstance places you outside of God's perfect loving plan for you. And it does not separate you. From his love for you in Christ. Those things hurt. They should hurt. They are wrong. There's no doubt about that. But to those whose foundation is deeper than the hurt, built on the rock of Christ, there is a solid footing for a different kind of response that Proverbs points us to a love that covers all offenses. We don't need to respond to hurt with hurt, we don't respond to insult with insult. When we're offended, we have a chance to confess our gospel by showing grace that by definition isn't deserved and that on the surface doesn't make sense. When we show grace to others who upset us, it shows that God has already met all of our needs so we can be generous to others in every way. There is nothing that person denies me that I need. There is nothing they take away from me that I need. God, my Father, abundantly provides all that I need in Christ. And I am free to love others in a way that covers over their offenses. We confess our gospel by saying, I don't need revenge. I serve a God who's in control. I don't need respect or approval or anything else. I'm loved by a heavenly Father that meets all my needs. I don't need to treat you the way you deserve because I'm forgiven by a God who freely forgave me. In Ephesians 4, we hear it this way, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. When we, when we are offended, we have an opportunity to act out the gospel, showing the same patient, undeserved grace of God, but also showing that we can do that because He fully cares for us, meeting our needs making us able to have a heart that is filled and full and satisfied so that we can love others just as we are loved rather than love others the way they deserve to be loved. Let nothing that I have said here today give you the false impression that this is easy. I don't want you to think that forgiveness is easy. I don't want you to think that covering over offenses is a simple thing. Forgiveness is is costly someone has to bear the cost one of my favorite little books in scripture is philemon it's kind of it's the last of paul's letters it's one chapter long there's this beautiful thing i didn't i didn't put the scripture up there because i'm just i'm off the paper now philemon's the story of a of a of a household servant a slave named onesimus who we don't know the full story but he did something to philemon his his master and probably either stole some money or cost him a lot of money and ran away and in the process of running away he meets Paul the apostle who happens to be a friend of Philemon and when they find out this connection Paul is sharing the gospel with Onesimus Onesimus comes to faith Paul hears the story and eventually he says Onesimus you have to go back to Philemon and make things right And you can almost picture the conversation because Onesimus is like, but but you don't understand, Paul. I owe him big. There's no way I can make right what is wrong between us. And in that little letter that Paul is writing to Philemon that he sends with Onesimus, Paul says to, to Philemon, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. I'll pay you back whatever he owes you. And that is how the grace of God makes this possible. Forgiveness is not easy. It's costly. Covering over an offense, looking past it, is a costly thing. Someone has to bear the cost. And too often we preach this in a way that makes you feel like you have to bear the cost. But any cost that needs to be carried has already been paid by another. Jesus is your Paul saying, whatever he owes you, Put it on me. I've paid for it. He's free and clear. The message of the gospel is not be a kind person, be a nice person because that's what God demands of you. That's not the gospel. That's a standard I can't live up to. The gospel says the price is paid. Guilty, vile, helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. As we sing in closing of the man of sorrows, let us remember that whatever price needed to be paid for the wrong, the hurt, the offenses that you have done to others or that they have done to you, the price of forgiveness has already been paid. The love of Christ covers over those offenses and now you, believer, are freed to love in a way that covers the offenses of others thereby conquering the enemies of God's people and confessing the gospel that we believe. Let us pray and trust in the one who makes these things possible. Heavenly Father, it is not an easy thing to live out your gospel. It is not a natural thing to forgive, to treat others in a way they don't deserve. And every little bit of our human nature desires to treat people the way that we see they deserve to be treated. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would transform our hearts. So fill us, so change us with your gospel that we love in a way that is inexplicable and unexpected and which fully declares the grace that we have in you through Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.